Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, October 30th, 2022. It focuses on God's covenant with David. The message to all who will listen is God's promise to David that a forever king would come from his line is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Years and years and years ago, like 1986, 1987, maybe not years and years, but anyway, a while ago, a kind man at Maxville Christian Church where I was serving as a pastoral intern spoke these kind words to me as I was getting ready to leave after a summer of ministry there in Maxville. He said, you are going to be the next Billy Graham. Obviously, he was not a prophet. I've served in smallish churches in smallish towns for more than three decades. Since he said this, my preaching has not brought me a lot of fame. And I have never stood before a jam-packed crowd in Madison Square Garden. I think I walked past the building once, but I've never preached there. Anyway, outside the fact that I am a man who preaches God's word as regularly and as faithfully as I know how, I'm not much like my well-known brother in Christ at all. I'm pretty sure that's the way God intended it. I'm not supposed to be the next Billy Graham or the next anybody. I'm just supposed to be me and serve God in the way that God's given me to serve. And I'm thankful that Billy came along at the right time with the right gifts to draw thousands to Christ. And I'm thankful for those who are now drawing thousands to Christ. But I'm thankful also that God loves small communities and small groups of believers who come together every Sunday in worship, and I'm thankful to be a part of what God's doing right here. So there are fewer in the kingdom because of my preaching than from Billy's preaching, but there are some, and I'm praying that more will come to know Jesus as we together as the church serve God throughout this community. It was sure fun last week to have our cookout and have visitors with us, and hopefully there'll be some fruit from that. We'll continue to look for ways to Uh, bless our community, and to draw people close to Jesus by being close to them. So watch for that in the future, and look for opportunities throughout the day. Wherever you go all week long, look for opportunities to express God's love and be an encouragement to others. So I know that God is in charge of my life, and he's going to do what he wants to do through me. But back to that guy in Maxville. I am in no way demeaning what he did or said. I'm thankful that he spoke words of encouragement to me that day, and he was a faithful supporter of what I was doing with the teens at the church. He always smiled when I walked in. I liked him. He was a good man, but like I said, he was not a prophet, or at least wasn't prophesying at that moment. This morning, we're going to look at the last of the major covenants that God made with humanity in the Old Testament times. We're going to watch as a prophet visits a prominent member of the Jewish nation and speaks of the man's future. The prophet is Nathan, and the man with whom he speaks is the second king of Israel, King David. Perhaps you've heard of these two. If not Nathan, surely you've heard of David. He's the David of David and Goliath. He's the notorious scoundrel of the David and Bathsheba scandal. He's the famous songwriting shepherd boy chosen by God because despite his failings, his heart was set 
on obeying God. And we're kind of like that, right? Our heart's set on obeying God, but sometimes we don't. So we have reviewed the Adamic covenant and heard God's promise that one would come to crush the head of the serpent. We've taken in the Noahic covenant, and we trust God is not going to destroy all humanity with a flood ever again. We've watched as God established a covenant with Abraham to bless all the peoples of the earth, and we've witnessed the making of the one conditional covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which made it necessary to depend on God alone for salvation because we couldn't fulfill this one. And today we're going to take on the Davidic covenant. We'll see or hear God promised David, the king, something which is going to last. The words of the promise will, once again, mean hope for you and me today. Before we get to the covenant part of David's story, let's go back in time to when he was just the runt of the family. No one was paying much attention to him. Seriously, when Samuel, Israel's leader, came to town intent on finding the next king, David wasn't even invited to the party. His dad, Jesse, didn't think him worthy to attend, so he brought the other brothers but left David in the field tending the sheep. The story is found in 1 Samuel 16. We're going to read the tail end of it, verses 10 to 13, and you can follow along if you're able to as I read 1 Samuel 16, 10 to 13. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel went, then went to Ramah. Two things. First, David was chosen by God himself. Nobody else was going to pick him. He wasn't the first best option in man's eyes. He wasn't the second best option or the seventh. He was the eighth. But because God knew what was in his heart, David was God's only option from the very beginning. He would not let Samuel pour out his oil before David arrived. Second, after the oil was poured over David's head, the Spirit of God came upon him powerfully. He had the help of the Holy Spirit in all that he did. Please understand, most people in that day did not have any divine assistance at all. They obeyed the best that they knew how, the best that they could, with their own willpower, trying to follow God and all the laws. Even so, because of that sin nature they inherited through Adam, they often stumbled. And when they did... They offered sacrifices as prescribed by the law to deal with their guilt, to find forgiveness for those. They had no power to overcome their tendency to do the wrong things, and so they sinned and sacrificed, sinned and sacrificed, sinned and sacrificed, sinned and sacrificed, trying to stay pure, but failing miserably. It should be noted that Saul, Israel's first king, the guy who is on the throne as David is now being anointed, had received the Spirit's help at the beginning of his reign. He had then grieved God by disobedience, and the Spirit of God 
had left him. Interestingly, we don't know exactly the moment when this happened, but the leaving is recorded immediately after David's anointing story. We have it in black and white in 1 Samuel 16, 14. Let's read that verse along with those verses that follow. Reading through the end of the chapter, we'll see the first post-anointing encounter David has with the man he's going to replace. And it's not what we would expect. We would expect that if somebody got anointed as king, they'd go kill the other guy and take the throne, right? David doesn't go to depose Saul. There's no threat of bloodshed. In fact, David, or rather the Spirit of God who's come upon David, helps the current occupant of Israel's throne in an interesting way. So here's the story as we have it in 1 Samuel 16, 14 to 23. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. The story has nothing to do with the covenant, which God is going to make with David. I include it because I want you to see and take note of what kind of man David was. He was, as it says elsewhere in the storyline, a man after God's heart who would do whatever God gave him to do. He'd be obedient. So here we see God's man, David, doing God's work for the benefit of Saul, a man who will soon become his sworn enemy. Saul is going to become more and more unhinged as time passes. The man is going to try killing David multiple times. And Saul is even going to threaten his own son's life when he suspects that he's colluding with David. Some of Jesus' hard to follow, tough to swallow words come to mind as I think about this. The words I'm thinking about are found in Matthew 5, starting at verse 43 and running through the end of the chapter. So listen to what our master says to us and see if David's actions towards Saul don't square with his commands. Remember, the Spirit of God is on him. He's following what God wants. So here we go. We're at verse 43. Matthew 5, 43 to 48 says this. Jesus is speaking. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect." Have you ever had to put this pray for your enemies thing into practice? 
I've had to do so more than once. Obedience in this is hard. Vengeance, so much more enticing. Gossip, so much easier. Hateful feelings, spiteful words, damning thoughts, they come naturally. Praying for those who mistreat you. You're only doing that with God's help. David doesn't know yet that Saul is an enemy, but he's going to know him as an enemy. And he's going to be okay with that because he's doing what the Spirit gives him to do right now. He'll be doing the same when Saul's attitude toward him sours. Speaking of this change in heart, we need only skip one chapter to see its beginnings. David's slaying of the Philistine giant creates this huge stir among God's people. King Saul is pleased as punch that the Goliath problem has been solved. He's happier than happy until something happens which galls him. It's this story I want to read a part of now. So listen as I read 1 Samuel 18, the first 16 verses. 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 16. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. David serves God and is peaceful faithfully. He does whatever this, his king asks of him, and God gives him success. His victories come because, you heard it, because the Lord's with him. Because David is valiant, the enlisted men trust him as they follow him into the fray. The hearts of the army's commanders are with him as well because he's giving them success. He shows wisdom in every campaign. And he's the subject to the women's songs, which is where the problem arises. This is what gets under Saul's skin. It creates a small rift between the two of them, which is going to grow into this great chasm. Let's put Saul's jealousy aside for a second. It's a big deal, but we're not looking at him. We're looking at David. We're concerned with David and his actions and his attitudes. He's the one to whom God is going to make this crazy, extravagant promise. 
We're going to get to that. David is a faithful man, faithful to God, also faithful to God's people and to their king. So listen, no matter how you're treated, no matter how others react to what you do, do what God gives you to do. Be faithful to him, obedient even when you're pressured to compromise or when your actions are misunderstood or when you're ridiculed or hated, whatever. What did James tell the church? Listen to James 1.12. He said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Keep following God. Be faithful, persevere in the end. Whatever ugly things you face in the here and now, whatever's said about you, however you're treated, they're going to seem trivial in light of the eternally good things that you're going to receive from God. You get life with God forever, and that's enough. We're going to skip a bunch of the story now. No detailed look at David's time of hiding from Saul in the wilderness. No further mention of Saul's repeated attempts on David's life. No wild stories of David sparing his pursuer when God puts the man's life in his hands. He has opportunities to kill Saul. We're going to jump forward to the post-Saul era. Saul has fallen in battle with his son Jonathan slain at his side. David is now king over Israel, over God's people. He's defeated the nations which threatened Israel and taken Jerusalem, which becomes the central city of his kingdom and of the religious life of his subjects. As an initial act of establishing the city as a worship center, David brings the Ark of the Covenant into the city. The story is told in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to read a short section of it, the part where David successfully brings the ark to its resting place in the city. This is a second attempt. The first time, they didn't move the thing according to God's direction, which had been handed down by Moses, and a man had died as a result. So where we're heading now, as I said, is 2 Samuel 6. We're going to read verse 16 and then skip down to 20 and read through 22. These verses show David doing things right and getting the job done this time. The ark has been carried on the shoulders of the Levites as the law prescribed. Sacrifices are being made to God, and David is honoring God in a way that some think is a bit over the top. He's dancing like a wild man. That's what he's doing when we pick up at verse 16. This is what 2 Samuel 6.16 says. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David... Michael, daughter of Saul, this is David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Skipping down to verse 20 now. The ark has been set in place successfully, and David is heading home. Remember I said she was his wife. Here it comes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants like any vulgar fellow would. You can hear the tone, right? David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. David's only concern 
is pleasing God and celebrating what God has done in his life. He honors God with his worship. The opinions of others be damned. He's going to celebrate what God has done in his life. Now, when we come together in worship each week, do you sometimes concern yourself with what that person sitting on the other side of the sanctuary thinks about how you're worshiping? Let me gently rebuke you and me. Worship is about God, not about how we act or whether we raise our hands or whether we dance wildly. Probably not going to happen here, but you never know. We should have our eyes on Jesus, focused on him. In John chapter 4, 23 and 24, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well made it clear what kind of worshipers God was and is still looking for. Listen to him. This is John 4, 23 and 24. He said, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. David understood this centuries before Jesus showed up on the scene. Do you understand it centuries later? If you want to be close to God, worship him in the spirit, worship him in the spirit's power, and worship him in truth from your heart sincerely, and don't be worried about what others think. Now for the covenant. What I've shown you so far is what kind of man David was. He was a man who loved God, who honored God, was faithful to God, obeyed God, worshiped God. He was all in. To this man... God makes a promise. We find the record of it in the next chapter of 2 Samuel. We probably should read all of 2 Samuel 7, but we're going to read just a single paragraph instead. You can read the rest later. Hear God's words to David from 2 Samuel 7, 11 to 16. And I'm actually starting about halfway through verse 11. Nathan the prophet is the man who delivers these words from God. So here we are. About halfway through verse 11, 2 Samuel 7, 11 to 16, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. David hears these words and his mind is blown. God is promising that the one who will crush the serpent's head, the one who will bring blessing to all nations, is going to come from his line. The Savior King will be a son of 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 David. This ruler to come is going to reign forever. Jesus, he's the son of David. He's the promised son. He's the forever and ever and ever king. 
In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, as God is carrying out his judgments on the earth, we find these words being spoken by loud voices from heaven or in heaven. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen? All of heaven worships Jesus, the son of David. Do you? Jesus alone is worthy of all our praise and honor and obedience. He is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to humanity throughout time. He is the establisher of a new covenant, a covenant which we enter into by faith in him, in which he changes our heart. Please, put your faith in Jesus. He is your rightful king, my rightful king. He's your maker, your only savior. He's the only one. Respond to what God is saying to you. Take time this morning as we take just a few moments in silence to consider where you stand in relationship to the one who saves, the one who is on the throne forever and ever. Pray and worship and give thanks and trust and offer yourself to him for obedience, for use in his kingdom. Let's do that. God, thank you that you showed us throughout history that Jesus was coming and made promises so that we would know that you intended to save. God, thanks for helping us to recognize Jesus because he was the one who crushed Satan's head and because he was the one who came to bless all nations and because he was the fulfillment of the law and because he was the eternal king. Father, thank you for loving us enough to send him to save us. Help us to daily put our faith in him and to follow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.